Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. Great. So, ladies and gentlemen, as I've mentioned, it's Christmas time, and Christmas time means presents. Am I correct when I'm saying that? My little kids love presents. That's the only thing they dream about and think about. We had an early Christmas with parents coming this way, and the only thing that they could talk about the whole time is, Dad, when are we opening up the presents? So what I want you to do for a moment is just turn to the person next to them, next to you, sorry, and quickly tell them, what is your most memorable Christmas present that you've ever received? Just quickly look at them, tell them your most memorable Christmas present. If you can't get to that quickly, and you can just share what's on your wish list for 2019's Christmas. This is your opportunity, guys. This is your moment to quickly mention. So just in a moment, share with the person next to you, most memorable or the Christmas present that you'd like now. I'll never forget mine. My uh, most memorable moment present, probably most of you guys have received this. It was this very small, beautiful package, um, and I was 16 years old, and it was from my grandmother, and it was a beautiful set of Onebrucke, um, how do you call that, underpants. There, there you go. <laughs> And then it's like, it's one of those moments when people say, it's not the gift, it's the idea that counts, you know. And I'm like, okay, thank you. Thank you, Grandma. No, but um, I don't know if you've ever received some of those presents as well. The reason why I'm going on about presents is we're in a series called God With Us. And when I'm thinking about the fact that God is with us, it's God's presence in the midst of his people and he's, that he's created. And when God decided to give us a present, it was his own presence. That was the plan. And it's been a big, big, big change since he has walked on this planet. And as we are journeying in this series, we're now in part two of this new series, and we are looking at the different ways we can encounter God's presence in the different seasons of life. And last week, um, Zander was speaking about encountering God with us in the valleys. And uh, we've mentioned that being in the valleys sometimes is rough. It's, it's tough. It's not an easy space to be. And, and when we're on the mountaintops with God, the mountaintop moments is the moments where we enjoy God, but the valleys are the moments where we meet God intimately. Now, this morning, today, I want to speak to you guys a little bit more about the wilderness. What does it mean when God is with us in the wilderness? Now, the wilderness, the wilderness experience, and what does it mean to encounter His presence there, differs a little bit from the valleys. The wilderness is usually something that's a little bit longer. It's going a little bit rough. It's not just a quick going through the valley moment. It's one of those spaces where you find yourself, where you're thinking, I don't know when I'm going to get out of here. It's a barren place. It's dry. It's desolate. You always feel alone in it. And it has this image connected to it that's, and you'll know this when I'm saying it, you're wandering in the wilderness. And sometimes you're really wondering, wondering when I'm going to get out of this place. I'm not going to make it. It's too rough for me. Um, it's too dry. And I don't know if you've been there, and I believe some of the guys sitting here this morning have been in the wilderness, or maybe you are in a wilderness space. Maybe you're sitting in a space where you're struggling with your job. Maybe you don't have a job. 
and you don't know when you're going to get one, and you've been giving in CVs time and time and time again, but just nothing is happening. Maybe you're in a job, and you're thinking, I, I'm not made for this. I cannot be in this space. This is not working for me. And you're thinking, well, am I going to go and study again? I'm going to make more um, uh, debt and try and get a new degree and go in a new direction. Maybe you're in a relationship, and you've been wanting and waiting and waiting for this guy just to propose. And you've been praying and praying and, and you've been fasting and fasting and all that this guy is doing is he's playing Xbox, but he's not buying a ring and getting ready for a life together. And you're asking yourself, how long can I live in this relationship? Should I quit? Should I leave all the time that I've invested, maybe start over? I don't know what your wilderness may be, but I probably know this. When you're in the wilderness, you feel alone, you feel lost, and you feel like no one understands you. You have no idea where you're going. And this morning, I want us to look at one big idea that God many times does in our wilderness. And it's this. It's that in our deepest need, you and me, your deepest needs in the wilderness becomes a gift when it drives you and me to depend on God. That's the reality of wilderness. Your deepest needs becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. And we're going to be looking at Elijah and his life and his season and his moment in the wilderness and how it has driven him to depend on God and it became a gift to him. So let's dive in. The first part of Elijah's journey in the wilderness, and this is something that I find really profound in all the wilderness stories, is that wilderness stories are usually followed or, or, or preceded by a mountaintop experience. Just think about it for a moment. Jesus had this amazing, powerful mountaintop experience at his baptism. I mean, it was like next level. He got baptized, and after he baptized, heaven literally opens up. There's a dove coming down all the way, descends, everybody sees it. His father publicly proclaims that he loves him, that he accepts him, that he's proud of him. In front of everybody. I mean, that's amazing. How many of you guys have experienced that at your baptism? Anybody? Like a moment like that? I mean, that is wow. And what I find really profound, that's a mountaintop experience for Jesus. The very next verse after we read about this experience says, Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. I don't know if you've ever experienced it. Mostly it is like this. It's not always, but mostly it's right after your great mountaintop experience. You just enjoyed God. You met him. I don't know if you've been there. I've met Jesus. I've given my life to him, and it's so amazing. I'm enjoying worship. I'm enjoying community group. And then next moment I find myself in a desolate place, in a wilderness, <coughs> not knowing where I'm going next. And it's the same for our good friend, Mr. Elijah. Now, just to quickly give some background before we dive into his story, um, or dive into the scripture. Elijah had his mountaintop experience literally on a mountain. It was Mount Carmel. And it's here where he defeated the evil king Ahab. It's, it feels like one of those... 
uh, once upon a time stories, evil kings, evil queens, and here is Elijah busy trying to get his way out of this. And, and their story has gone basically like this. The evil king Ahab has done lots of bad stuff, and Elijah's sent as a prophet, and they start off with this journey, and God tells him, listen, yeah, I'm going to punish this man. There's going to be no rain in Israel. No rain whatsoever. So he walks up to the evil king, tells him, listen, yeah, there's going to be no rain. And it stops raining. No rain whatsoever. God looks after Elijah. He feeds him with birds and, and so on and so forth for quite some time. And then after that, it's the big showdown. Elijah gets them all ready. And they're up there on Mount Carmel. And he's like, we'll show you guys who is truly God. He's looking at all of the different Baal prophets. I mean, like hundreds of them. And he's like, okay, guys, now we'll see who's God. And next moment after the Baal prophets, stride and they cut to themselves and they're crying and like please Baal come and light a fire for us show the world you're amazing and powerful nothing happens Elijah like prays fire from heaven people think about it for a moment comes down it incinerates everything there's like nothing left on that altar mountaintop experience right after that he starts praying for rain again the people of Israel repent, and he prays that God would bring back rain. He walks out on the mountain, and he sees a cloud the size of a fist there over the seas. He has the faith to continue praying. And as he prays, this cloud becomes a storm, and it starts raining. What a great story. What a mountaintop experience. I say rain stop, rain stops. I fight the king, we beat the king. Next level. Now I pray for rain, rain comes. That's amazing. God is with me. This is wonderful. King Ahab, very, very excited about all of this, goes back to his queen, and that's excited in inverted commas, his evil queen Jezebel, and tells her the good news that Baal is, has not won. She obviously looks at him and tells him what every woman tells every man when they tell stories like that, and she says, well, never send a man to do a woman's job, eh? That's obviously the picture there. So she decides to take things into her own hands. She sends Elijah a note, basically telling him, by tomorrow, this time, you'll be dead. And what happens? It's not like Elijah's like, I'm just praying, wearing my armor. God, we're going to change things. Yeah, it's next level. No, that's not what happens. What happens? Elijah does what every married man does when his wife looks at him, sending him a note saying, tomorrow, by this time, he runs. That's what he does. Guys, you know, you know this. You've experienced this before, no? <laughs> so he's just like, I'm getting out of here, and you don't believe me. A crazy woman speaks to him. I mean, we're talking evil king. We're talking people trying to kill him. We're talking um, army, everything, the whole story. One woman writes him a note, crazy woman, and he decides, now I'm running. When what's happening here? And you don't believe me? It's in the Bible. I'll read it for you. First Kings chapter 19, verse 2 says the following. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them, referring to the Baal prophets, that's dead. And then verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Now, when we read this, I just want to quickly bring some context and bring reality in. We read he ran. You do not realize 
how far this guy ran. And I just want to quickly get it out there. This is not in the days of Uber and taxis and nice roads and getting into a car and driving. No, no, no. This is pedal to the metal, boys, and you'd, you're running. You're on foot, and you're going. And as he's running, he ran 100 miles. That's literally how far he ran after he get a note from this crazy woman. That, that's like next level stuff. Guys, that is profit turning into Forrest Gump. Do you see the picture? You're with me. I hope you see this picture. And he ran and he ran and he ran. He just couldn't stop. And it's the reality. It's when we're facing fears, when we're in the midst of stuff, we run. And where do we run to? We read it here. We run straight into the wilderness. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I've experienced it. And when you find yourself on the place after you've had your 100-mile run, what do you do? You do exactly what Elijah did. Let's read 1 Kings, 30, uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 4, second part. It says, He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Have you ever been there? You've run, and you've run, and you've run, and you just can't seem to get away. And now it's over. It's just, God, I've had enough. I'm finished. I'm in the midst of my wilderness. I don't know what to do anymore. And the thing that usually follows right after we've said we've had enough is this. I need a vacation. Have you ever experienced that one? I just need to go somewhere, chill out for two weeks, and then everything will be okay. It's because I'm tired. Or like the guys say, the hillbillies, I'm tired. T-A-R-D, tired, I'm tired. Now, when we're in the forest, Gump moves. But the reality is, is we think we're tired when we're in the wilderness. And yes, you may be tired. But if you think that's the only thing that's wrong, and the only answer, I want to tell you, you're missing it. So I want to tell you the second thing we're learning from Elijah's wilderness experience, not just the mountaintops experiences are preceded before we enter into wilderness experiences, but also that you're not tired. That's a wrong diagnosis. And that's what I'm trying, I'm going to try and get to it now that you understand what I'm trying to say. But the thing that you need is not necessarily just rest. You have probably been misdiagnosed in the midst, and that's exactly what's happened with our good friend Elijah, getting away from the problems. Dr. Hendrik Cloud says the follow, following. He says, most of you are not tired, because if you were tired, you could take a nap, and that would solve your problem. No, no, no. You're not in need of physical rest as much as you are in need of spiritual replenishment. And I believe what he's getting to is what David wrote in the Psalms. Psalm 23 says the following. The Lord is my shepherd. It's that famous one I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. You see, you don't just need rest. You need God to come and restore your soul. The wilderness is not just a mount of vacations that will get you better. And probably you've been in this wilderness and you've had moments where you're taking vacation and it's just not been working. 
you need something more. There's something deeper. There is a water that you need to drink and bread that you need to eat that you will not get just from vacation times. And what I find really interesting is whenever we mention something like this, whenever we say, God, I'm trusting you to come and restore my soul, you need to go and replenish. Your soul needs to be replenished and be filled and restored. And I'm longing for this. We get all super spiritual. I don't know if you've experienced that. And we're like, okay, so now I need to read Bible. I need to go to church every day, all those things. I need to pray holy prayers. That's kind of the idea that we fall into whenever we think, God, come and restore my soul. Spiritual replenishment, fill me again. But the reality is, is it's not what he does with Elijah. It's so interesting to see what he does. So let's just quickly say what he's not doing. He's not coming to Elijah and saying, Elijah, here's the sermon that you should have preached. What did you do wrong? Let me tell you everything. He doesn't come to Elijah and tell him, Elijah, here's the 10 memory verses I want you to memorize. Make sure that you know them because you have little faith, so I want to stir some faith in you. It's not what he does. No. Instead, he comes to him and he says the following, verse 5. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Now just before I read on, I just want to mention this. Think about it for a moment. This is so cool. If you ask God, just listen, listen what he's saying. He could be saying that you need to get up. Drive to McDonald's, get a cheeseburger, fries, and some Coke. Now, I'm joking. He will never say that. That's the devil speaking. Ilza's looking at me like this, like, well, what's, what are you saying, Lorraine? No, no, he's probably saying eat some fruits and vegetables and stuff like that. But the reality is, is listen to this. God can do something as simple as just get yourself revitalized. But in my presence, where I am, not in your own power, Let's read on verse 6. He looked around, and there by his head was some gluten-free amazing bread <laughs> baked over some wonderful hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came back even a second time. Sometimes we think it's just one moment. But guys, I want to tell you we're in the wilderness. It might be more than once, twice, three times, maybe even four times. You'll see later on God is busy journeying and helping Elijah to the point where he can truly find what he's longing for. And this is it. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to just take a breather and let God restore your soul. For some of us, it's maybe in nature. Some of us, it's gluten-free bread and water. But you get the picture. It's with your creator and allowing him to breathe life into you. Now, what's interesting is I love verse 11 because God continues in this journey of just like bringing Elijah into his presence even more, even more, because he knows this is the thing that he needs. And read with me, verse 11 says the following. The Lord comes to Elijah after he's arrested and had some time together. God says to him, the Lord said, go out. And stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Powerful. Powerful words. And an amazing invitation. You know what God is saying here? He's saying, when you're running for dear life, Elijah, 
What you need, let me tell you what you need. You need my presence. That's what you need. When you're in the midst of the wilderness and everything looks like nobody is anywhere, it's hopeless, you want to end your life, you just want to die, a crazy woman wrote your note, it's over. What do you need? You need my presence. When you're unsure about the future, you need my presence. That's the thing that will restore you. That's the thing that will give you life. He then goes on to tell the story, and it's quite an epic one. I can't wait. One day I would love to see this in a movie. I think that's going to be next level if you check it out. But read with me and um, experience it with me. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord, he was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in this earthquake. And then after the earthquake came a fire, and by now probably Elijah was thinking, yes, burning bush, Moses, God, you are here. We're going to make it happen. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. God was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire, raging fire. He was not in the powerful wind, earth, wind, fire. God wasn't present. No. He was present in the whisper. Now, I wonder why. I wonder why God only comes in a whisper when we want to hear him clearly, when we're looking in the time of our life, when we long to hear him and we want to hear him clearly, why is not shouting loud, screaming? Why isn't this magnificent events coming? Why is he whispering? Have you ever wondered? Why is God whispering? Why is he so gentle? When he wants us to hear him, why is he whispering? And the answer is, because he's close. That's why. You see, when someone whispers, it means they are very, very close. And that's the reason why God comes in this still, small, vulnerable way to Elijah. And he whispers. And he speaks to him because he is so close to Elijah in the middle of his wilderness. He's not far away that he needs to do some spectacular thing. No, but he came very, very very close. In fact, he clawed his way down from heaven all the way here to earth to come so, so close. I want to end this time and this message with a personal story of my whisper in the wilderness. The day that I experienced God whispering to me and as with any good wilderness story, 
my wilderness story starts out with a great mountaintop experience just beforehand. See, we arrived in Bloemfontein and we dived into ministry here quite a few few years back, 2011. And um, at that stage, we got the privilege of leading the kids' ministry, the children's ministry. Myself and my wife, we dived in there, and God's hand was just on that ministry and with us. I mean, in three months, we tripled the attendance of the kids' day. We grew from 50 to 150. We've just started, and that's just one of the areas. Um, We've gone from six people serving to over 30 people serving in that space, literally in 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 a time span of three months. God has just been so good for us. And, and it didn't end there. It continued for the next five years. And um, in that process, God has blessed me to, to have the privilege of journeying and walking with a leader who's now leading that environment and taking over there. And she's still leading it faithfully, Ellery. And I had the privilege as a leader to experience success, not just in the ministry success, but also seeing someone taking over, leaving a legacy, and someone else continuing that good work. And God just blessing that space and that environment. And then after that five-year journey, we were in quite an interesting time as a church. And um, the time came for me to start making a move and a shift out of the kids' ministry and giving over. But it was so uncertain. Nobody knew where we were going to be going, what we are going to be doing next. And, and I found myself suddenly in a space and in a place where I was without any significance. Because the one thing that I felt gave me value was the success that I had in my job. That was the thing that made me valuable on team, valuable in life, valuable in every area. And I started running because this voice was haunting me at night, questioning me on my value. How do you see yourself? Are you truly valuable enough? I would wake and be awake at night, every night, thinking about this wondering what do I need to do next because I connected what I'm doing to how much worth I am instead of doing it the other way around. And um, as I started spiraling down into this and struggling with this question, I did what every good guy do when he's afraid, when he's unsure, and a crazy woman writes him a note. I started running, and I was running hard. And I ran very hard. I ran so hard that I worked 80-hour weeks for three months, just consecutively, just to try and prove myself worthy in some other way. It led me to the point of burnout before the age of 30, where I was totally emotionally burnt out in ministry. And the reality is, I was in my desert space. And all of this just to prove my worth. And then I realized running hard is not good enough. It's not going to give me an answer to the question. So I wanted to run away. I started looking at maybe I should go and plant a church in Germany. I don't know still to today where I got that idea. Because people in Germany don't even speak English. (laughs) So I have to go and study a new language, everything. It's just because my sister stays in Germany. No, Germany, that's where we're going. So after that crazy idea passed, the running away didn't work Vacation. Here comes my hope. And guys, I'll never forget coming back from a two-week holiday, December holiday, having great time with my family. Coming back and halfway back from Pretoria and Kronstadt, I stopped because I physically couldn't deal with what's happening in my head. I was so afraid of coming back to work. I don't want to be here. 
it scared me to death. That's literally where I was. I was at the point, and if you know me, you'll know there's one thing that Lorraine is very passionate about, and it's his work. And to be in the place where I am, to serve in God's church and to do what I've been called to do is the one thing that gives me fuel. It's very, very exciting to me. But to be in that space where I would pick up my phone and call my parents crying, grown man, two kids with a wife crying, saying, I'm, I cannot do this. I will not be able to go back. Pray for me. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. It was just too much. Made my way back. Months carried on and kept on going, kept on going. Couldn't find a way out. And then finally, unexpectedly, I experienced God whispering to me in the middle of my wilderness. And it went something like this. I was sitting the afternoon in my office. I received a phone call unexpectedly. It was from my father who I haven't been talking to for quite a few months at that stage. And he told me he had this dream, and he wants to tell me about this dream he had the one night that God gave him. And he started sharing this dream with me, and he said it was very weird. He experienced God telling him he needs to drive to the airport with my mother, and they need to go and pick up Jesus at the airport. <laughs> to talk about funny sense of humor when God gives you dreams now. And my dad was struggling with his own insecurities, like, what? Jesus, driving in my car, my car's not clean enough, it's not nice enough, not good enough, I cannot do this, you know. That's kind of the picture that he went through, and then uh, when he realized and caught himself, he was in the car, on his way to the airport, like, okay, Jesus, I'll do this now, and then on his way to the airport, he realized nobody told him where he needs to pick up Jesus, where is he going to be, and where is he going, how does he look, he doesn't even know how he's going to be looking, he's not sure it's going to be Jesus, he starts speaking to my mom about this in the stream. So, long story short, they arrive at the airport, and on their way in, there is this <clears throat> average guy, young man, just connects with him um, out of the blue, saying hi in his dream and um, asking him his name. And my dad's like, listen, what do you want to do with my name? Listen, yeah, who are you in any case? Doesn't realize or recognize there might be something else going on. And then after giving in, giving his name, this young man invites him to walk with him out from the airport into this little garden section. And they start talking about stuff. And the moment they went into the garden section, this man turned into Jesus. And my dad realized it's God calling him and wanting some space with him and speaking to him. And he shared with him lots of intimate stuff um, and chatted with my dad about stuff where he was in his life. And just before the dream ended, just before they finished this conversation, my dad told me, he told me all of the stuff Jesus was sharing with him. So I'm thinking, wow, he wants to share with me his dream and I'm going to be excited with him about this. Right at the end, Jesus looks at my dad and he says, Marnie, I know you have a son in Bloemfontein that's working for me, and he's doing good. Now, I cannot tell you what happened at that moment in my heart, but to know that when I'm running, when I'm doing the thing, the most cowardice thing possible, most selfish, so full of pride, <laughs> full of myself, and the worst moment in ministry, I'm literally trying to keep my head above water. I am not a prime example of doing things good. In that moment, God whispered, and he said, 
you are good and I see you. Guys, why does God whisper? Because he's close. And this morning, whether you're in the wilderness or maybe you're not even in the wilderness, but you're longing for a whisper. You want to hear his voice. You want to hear him say, you are good. I love you. I'm with you. You're not alone. I've sent my son to tell you how much I love you. I want you to hear that. Because of your greatest need that you thought you had, may it point you to the greatest gift you could have ever received, his presence with you day in and day out. Let's pray. I just want to pray for you if you're there. So if you maybe want to put up your hand saying, God, I really need a whisper from you. I need your presence close to me. I'm not going to call you to the front. I just want to pray with you. So if that's something that you want, quickly put up your hand. It would be so great to pray with you for that. Amen. Father, <clears throat> this morning as we are reflecting on your presence in our deepest, darkest moments in the wilderness, and people are putting up their hands and saying, Jesus, I long for your presence. I want to hear you speak in the middle of my desert, in a place where I believe nobody understands me. Father, I come and pray that through your spirit, in that soft whisper, that you will come and make people aware of your presence and that you know exactly what they're going through. And you know exactly what they need, what they need to hear in this moment. In Jesus' name, I come and pray, Father, that you would stay true to your promise, that you will never leave them, and you will never, ever forsake them. You are with them always. If you've put up your hand, I had this picture of Joshua. And the reason why Joshua could be so brave, strong, and courageous while he was taking in new land was because God was with him. He's, every time God says, Joshua, be strong and courageous, for I am with you. I am with you wherever you go. He is the one that makes you brave. He's the one that gives you the strength and the courage to go. In Jesus' name, we thank you for this, and you're a good God. And we all say, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.